What's that? What's that indeed? Welcome back to Afoot, the mystery podcast from the incomparable. I'm your host, David J. Lore, and no, this isn't some April 1st thing. We really are back with a new season of Mystery, Mayhem, and Conversation. My guests tonight are the Incomparable Zone Deep Space Voyager, Jean McDonald. Hello, Jean. Hello, David. I am happy to be returning to the 20, 20th century uh decade of the well decade in 1960s but uh yes sometimes you get kind of tired out there in the 24th <laughs> and uh we have uh just one more guest uh james dempsey welcome to the show thanks and thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be here oh of course now you're all probably wondering what happened to the other guy <laughs> By which I mean Peter Falk. You see, this time we're revisiting Lieutenant Columbo. Except there's a twist. Years before Falk put on the raincoat, and even before Thomas Mitchell played the role on stage, there was another version of the story that became prescription murder. And thanks to the UCLA Film and TV Archive, we were able to see an episode of the Chevy Mystery Show that originally aired July 31st, 1960, titled Enough Rope, written by Richard Levinson and William Link. We'll get to that in a minute, but I'd like to ask you both, what is it about Columbo? Is it the character or the actor? Because a lot of the manner and the catchphrases are already there, but he didn't really become iconic until Peter Falk. Oh, what do we think? That's an excellent question um, that I was not anticipating. <laughs> but <laughs> I do because I thought you know that the actor here, Bert Fried, did, did you know a fine job, um, and he just wasn't quite lovable. Like, and I don't know. It's I'm sure that. Um, you know, it had a series been built around him as the main uh, actor, it would have been an interesting show. But I think there's a, uh, I think I certainly loved Peter Falk as Columbo the first time I saw him. And so I don't know, it's very hard to judge, especially right. since we have so much history with this character um, with one particular actor. I don't I don't know. <laughs> and I also think that, um, I mean, personally, I pretty much enjoy Peter Falk in anything that he's in. Um, so certainly I enjoy him as an actor. But I also think that, I mean, there's something about him in the role of Columbo. So the character also plays such a big part. And I think there are just some times where a particular actor in a particular role, it just, it's greater than the, the sum of the parts, right? Sure. It's, sure. you can't, you can't pull them apart. It's the fact that it's the combination that makes it like ultra powerful or just an ultra phenomenon that just is culturally impactful. Yeah. I mean, 
you have what just one more thing it's all routine i don't mean to bother you all of those things <laughs> and there's there's just something about his manner right uh bert freed is a large man he's a little imposing he's mm-hmm. not twinkly right he's he's just kind of annoying for the most part um yeah i mean he does nobody is afraid of colombo decking them if they go too far (laughs) but bert freed definitely looks like you know he also could play boxers um big boxers oh yeah yeah i i just cracked up because he bites through his cigar at one point yes i'm like hmm was that intentional And also at one point, like he he kind of angrily demands that somebody do something, even though it's late at night. Whereas Peter Falk never like Columbo, as we know him, is always like asking, right. you know, he, he never seems to demand things of other people in his own department. Yeah. Um, he'll get angry at a suspect sometimes, right. but which, which is always an interesting color for him to play. Uh, to to be like you know he's he's always so apologetic he's ingratiating and once in a while he gets angry and it's it's an interesting like is how much of his shtick is an act right yeah right and you the i think part of the beauty of yeah peter falk as colombo is you you're never quite sure. And I think usually when I watch, I'm usually taking him at face value, even though, who knows? We really, we never even know by the end of the, like, no matter how many episodes you watch. And that's part of the beauty of it, right? That it is a little ambiguous right. there. Right. I, I was like the uh, the thing that Richard Levinson and William Link used to joke about when Mrs. Columbo was on the air and they would say, we want to throw in a line where he says, you know, there's this young woman out there impersonating my wife. Because <laughs> um, I, 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 I love that we never get any more detail. It's yeah. just him. I also found that um, uh, the actor kind of gave off for me like a, a, a bit of like a, a Brian Dennehy or the commish kind of vibe. Like kind of a little bit like a big guy, gregarious, um, uh, down to earth, and it was just so odd hearing him deliver Columbo lines. I also found it very interesting how they, how you saw that one-hour uh, drama, um, and how that same basic plot got reworked in Prescription uh, Murder. Um. So they're like the plot points were very similar, but then it was really interesting to see how Levinson and Link kind of tweaked and tuned the story over kind of the the that eight year nine year right. period. Well, we yeah we should get into the plot now. Um, mm-hmm. We'll we'll do a very quick version of it because it is worth seeing prescription murder and getting the same basic story unspoiled. Uh, but in short being Columbo, we already knew who the killer is. So, <laughs> and um, in this, a psychiatrist uh, named Dr. Roy Fleming 
he changes from Roy to Ray. It's weird. <laughs> um, they just decided, yeah, I like Ray better. Uh, but in this, he's Dr. Roy Fleming, and he sets up an elaborate Columbo-style scheme to kill his wife. And it's it's a, an accumulation of little tiny things that nobody else would notice that eventually brings him down. Columbo gives him enough rope. Ha. Okay. Um, <laughs> and in this, it it is interesting that they managed to get almost exactly as much plot into this tight little hour as in the full TV movie. Uh, they They really expand the character moments for the movie and and for the stage play uh, you get to know Columbo a little bit more there's a a scene in the movie and the play where Columbo says hey maybe maybe you could take me on as a client and so the psychiatrist gets to turn the tables on him and psychoanalyze him there's a hint of that here but it's not it's nowhere near as long or complex um but you can see watching this why it would work on a stage. It's it's very much a play. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the funny thing to me watching it is that Columbo is almost like an afterthought, right? He's a functionary who has to catch the bad guy who's the star. And, you know... It works. It's fine. If if there were never another story with this guy, you'd be like, yeah, that was that was an entertaining hour of TV. Um, but it it really is interesting to see how you know take a different actor eight years later, and it's no wonder NBC, which also showed this, saw that and went, we want another one. Hey, let's do a series. Um, mm-hmm. What what did you all think about the the slight differences in the plot and the pacing compared to the the eventual movie and and just a general Columbo episode? Well, I have to admit, I you know have not rewatched really Prescription Murder for, um, in in quite a while in fact possibly since the last time you and I did a podcast about <laughs> Columbo four years ago <laughs> but it oh. was uh, I know um, so I what I did notice first of all is of course the the whole thing felt like a a play more than a TV movie um, and I thought it was interesting afterwards after the um the presentation of enough rope when they had a couple of you know scholars on Colombo and tv culture saying like well it was written in 1960 there was a writer's strike which i didn't know and they could only write for live presentation shows and so a live presentation is going to have a completely different look to it obviously is going to be like a play and I'm not surprised that they would have turned it into a play because I mean 
you could have like three sets, right? And there's like the 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 entrances and exits are very staged like, at least, you know, to my untrained eye. Um, but so, the, you know, it felt a little bit more bare bones. Um, I also felt like the decor overall was like better <laughs> than the 1970s decor. Uh, I can't remember exactly in Prescription mur- Murder, but most of those, you know, first run of Columbo, the homes of the wealthy were really ornate and kind of gross. And this apartment (laughs) looked kind of cool um, where, you know, where the murder took place. And so, um, and yeah, I think. And there is, there is a big difference in that this one is set in New York and his that was my question yeah that was my question i assumed it wasn't la because who would go to toronto for the weekend (laughs) from la but i didn't i didn't pick up on the cues that said it was new york um to to be honest but it 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 did make me question my colombo geography for sure (laughs) and i mean he's much more like a new york cop yeah than uh than falk and uh, in in the movie Prescription Murder, the house that that Ray Fleming has is really kind of sleek and modern and clean and clear, uh, whereas this kind of looks like a hotel room, <laughs> but it's very <laughs> mm-hmm. it's very simple. It, yeah, no, that's true. I also f- I also found that the um, I mean the acting itself. Um, in uh enough rope was seemed a little more melodramatic mm-hmm. um whereas in prescription murder is certainly more restrained but i also thought that in um prescription murder it being movie length it gave them a little more time to kind of better establish the the motive for the murder um although um the actress in enough rope was like kind of annoying um in her manner so you kind of could see the motivation um but it was much clearer um and well established uh in prescription murder and then the the um well the very end the gotcha um was certainly more elaborate and dramatic in prescription murder and i think a lot more impactful Mm. Um, at the end of Enough Rope, um, certainly Columbo catches the murderer, but it's not quite as um, not quite as dramatic mm-hmm. as uh, we get in 1968. Um, no, that's true. I wish I had watched it beforehand, like so I could compare. <laughs> but I did. I I had a little mishap where my. Um, my iPad, which I was watching it on, uh, froze right after that, you know, Columbo catches the murderer scene. But I wasn't 100% sure that the show was over. Um, I even texted James and I said, mine froze. I'm on a Crest commercial. What do I do now? And he said, no, no. you've seen the whole thing. So I think, you know, obviously, you know, it's... It's they're so far apart in uh, you know just terms of TV technology anyway that um, you know Columbo 
movie episodes are are you know it's the end the music is a certain way the credits come up in a certain way and all this whereas this one it it just doesn't have quite that texture of uh you know rising and falling tension it's more melodramatic you know like look at the guy he's like smiling and shifting his eyes back and forth you know he must you know he must be feeling like he got away with it <laughs> so. and and he's very tense he's very smooth kind of but then you see gene barry in the movie and you go oh richard carlson isn't smooth at all right yeah. right <laughs> he's very nervous <laughs> i mean it I, I wrote down this is like the community theater version of prescription yeah. murder, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. Yeah. Um, they they weren't doing prescription murder live. They had plenty of time. It's you know, it's fine. Yeah, and I just want to point out that this definitely did lay the ground for the one thing about Columbo, the trip that gets on my nerves the most, which is like annoying wife probably yes. should be murdered <laughs> so. the only way out is murder i she won't divorce me she likes to torture me oh well yeah i feel like the the accomplice uh you know other woman was more fleshed out in the um in the movie uh for the same reasons that we've been talking about this was basically young blonde woman you know, in a very uh, cinched waist dress, <laughs> crying oh, a lot. Man. Yeah, I mean, the the end when he pulls the gotcha and both of them just kind of turn and cover their faces. Oh, mm-hmm. no. And fade yeah. out. That was probably, um, especially comparing the two, that was probably the weakest part was the the original gotcha. Um but it's also nice it it's kind of fun to see again how they managed to really plus that up um by the time they got to a to a full movie one thing we didn't ever get to see in the movie um was those little breaks right before where Walter Slezak in his bright red oh, jacket yes. would tell us <laughs> what had just happened <laughs> He he came off as kind of a really sinister Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> uh, you know, yes, with this is so we just saw him uh, kill his wife, yeah. and uh, you have forgotten that you were you were mesmerized by the Vaseline commercial, <laughs> and uh, I have a cigar and oh, I a jacket. And Back to the show. I'm European. I'm very. <laughs> Very European. <laughs> and that Vaseline hair tonic commercial, I didn't realize that my entire life I had been missing out on pure <laughs> grooming oil. You know, it's better for you than water. That's my yeah. understanding. I didn't even know there was such a thing called <laughs> grooming oil. So um, I stand well, fully enlightened now. I didn't realize that there was a high cost to starching. Um, you know, that was, I think, the first commercial. And I'm like, the high cost of starching? Um, like, putting starch on clothes and ironing them, a thing that I haven't done in 
40 years or so. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, I want the permasprayer. I, I will send a, a label to Jackson, Mississippi, <laughs> care of permasprayer. I love the fact that you can just put a town. Just permaspray, <laughs> yeah. Jackson, Mississippi. It'll get there. Um, I, I, there's nothing else in Jackson. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely the commercials made this more uh, entertaining <laughs> than, I mean, it was would have been entertaining anyway, but it just added an, uh, a dimension of funness to this whole uh, program from UCLA. I have, I, I hope they do that, you know, on future shows. I, I think my favorite was the Crest commercial. <laughs> um, the, what is it, the effective dental preventative no the decay preventative dentifrice yes uh, and you know here's one half of the room used crest in a study for two years and everybody there is sitting nice and straight and perfect posture and the other half of the room used the other toothpaste and it and it shifts over and you see they're just sort of sitting there and draping on chairs you know <laughs> like this is this is so subtle, um, <laughs> but it's the only toothpaste with fluoristan. Fluoristan, I know. I'm like, whatever is that one of the former territories of the USSR? I, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, they're they're uh, celebrating their repatriation right now. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a surreal experience. It was nice to to have those pauses though, because I uh, you know I love having that pause to consider the suspense that the writer builds in. Right? right. It's why I don't, I don't just binge watch a show without breaks because I, I like having that pause. Um, these were just extremely entertaining. Pauses. Yeah, they were. And I, um, oh, 1960 of course was the first, uh, the setting of the first season of Mad Men. And I thought, Right. This is what they were building on, like these commercials. <laughs> like they had a lot of <laughs> runway to 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 make you know to to make them groovier by the end of the Mad Men run. Because once you've seen like a singing, dancing bacteria uh, and bottle of pine salt, you're, you're you know you think. Uh, Maybe that that isn't the best sell. It's clear, it's clean, it's Vaseline. That's right. <laughs> the one thing I found watching, though, is that it was really, really difficult for me to reconcile that character as Columbo. Like he he yes. did Columbo-ish things. He said you know, like he borrowed a pencil. He he forgot yeah. to return the guy's pen. He's you know right. It didn't even. It almost felt like it was a different character, even though like line for line, a lot of the things are exactly in prescription murder. Yeah, right. And you know, if you think about. Uh, the run of Columbo and the various murderers he uh, tangled with, a lot of them came to like him, you know, and, or at least sort of like him and hang out with him or want to buy him socks or a tie or whatever <laughs> and uh, or give him a whole new jacket. But uh, it's hard to imagine this 
version of Columbo, you know, winning over the the high society villains that he would go on to tangle with. Yeah, I think in uh, Prescription Murder, at one point, uh, the the murderer uh, calls Columbo a mischievous imp, um, mm-hmm. which you could not see <laughs> anybody. Nobody calls Bert, Bert Fried an imp. <laughs> uh, mischievous or otherwise, exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny thinking about it now that if anybody tried to reboot Columbo or or even said, you know, hey, we'll do like Columbo's grandson or granddaughter <laughs> or, you know, whatever. And you know that their interpretation of it will now always be influenced by Falk. It's always going to have like an Easter egg of the raincoat or, you know, the one more thing or whatever. And it's kind of surreal to go backwards and see someone who has none of that influence whatsoever and you know not that much character there like i said he he seems more like a functionary who's just there to catch the killer and he doesn't really bring any character to it he's just a gruff large man I mean, the fact is, since we, you know, well, none of us were around. Well, I was actually just born when this was aired, but I don't think we watched it, uh, or I didn't watch it when I was an infant. But my very first memory was Bert Fried (laughs) as Columbo. But you know, the fact is, we, as you know, of our generation, have absolutely no way to to clear our minds of what we know about Columbo and watch it, you know, un, as an unadulterated viewer. Um, and, I mean, that's just the way of, of culture in general. But I would have liked to know how people like that, you know, like audience. Not Obviously the writers liked it enough to just keep going with it in the and the studios, but whether people around their water coolers <laughs> in 1960 right. said like I, I thought that detective was kind of interesting I wish they would do another show about him Probably. well one of the details that came out in the the talk afterwards when it went to Broadway and Joseph Cotton yes. took over as the killer great actor famous actor certainly by mid 60s and at the end, at the curtain calls, he would come out and he'd get a polite applause. Yay, you were the star. That's great. And then Thomas Mitchell, who was playing him on stage, he was uh, Uncle What's-This and It's a Wonderful Uncle Life. Billy, yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, but, you know, character actor, not a huge star. He would come out and the audience would go bananas because Columbo was such a good character in the yeah. play. Oh, that's true. That's a good indication. Yeah, I was, I was definitely, my eyes lit up when they said Joseph Cotton had played <laughs> Dr. Fleming. And I was like, man, I wish I could have seen that. Same here. That He's, he's a favorite of mine. Um, well, so is the actor who played Uncle Billy. He's also a favorite. But, um... <laughs> but two, they had two different career paths for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it would be 
difficult to reboot Columbo well. I mean, you can reboot anything poorly, as we've seen many, many times. <laughs> Time yes. and again. Um, <laughs> but it's it's almost like, yeah, you, if if there were certain elements missing, like if he didn't come back in and say, oh, I have another question or one more thing, like would it even be a Columbo reboot at a certain point? Or is it just another <laughs> right. mystery show? Um, yeah. That's my question about the Perry Mason reboot, which I still have not watched because I just don't want to ruin my my Perry Mason, you know, part of my brain with, you know, love the actors who are in it and everything. But what I have heard about it makes me think it doesn't really sound like Perry Mason. <laughs> it just sounds like a detective, hard boiled, gritty, you know, 21st century detective historical detective show with not i mean not the coolness of of raymond burr as perry mason yeah it's it's very different from what we think of as perry mason the music is great oh really i will say that Uh, i'm gonna Uh, break down and watch it at some point but (laughs) but and then when I do sit down and think about it, then I think, or just watch an old Perry Mason. <laughs> as far as we know, there is no uh, version of Perry Mason out there starring Bert Freed as Perry Mason. <laughs> <laughs> that would be too much. Um, well, there there are a few movies from the 30s which are a little not great. So getting back to Columbo in general... You know, how how do you feel about the 90s revival compared to the original 70s version? Because it's, uh, it's not quite a reboot, but it's it feels different. It's kind of like how I like Diet Coke, but if somebody offers me a Coke 1, I, or is it Coke <laughs> 0 or whatever it's called, I will take it and be okay with it. But I'd rather have... The Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I found them to be like some of them I really enjoyed, and like they were very uneven. Um, mm, and yes, and they never were really up to the par of the seventies. In part, just I think um, the I think sometimes they added maybe uh, a bit too much shtick. Um, that wasn't present in the during the seventies. Um, that might have gone on a little longer um, than maybe it needed to. Um, I also think that um, yeah, there there wasn't the same set of guest stars, right? Oh yeah, that's you, true. Because in the seventies, right. you had all these really like getting older but still really good performers. Um, from Hollywood, big names, Ray Milland, and all sorts of folks. Um, oh, yeah. Whereas Many famous people. That kind of, that wasn't necessarily as much the case in the in the 90s. You know, the final episode of that, uh, the guest star was Matthew Reese, um, mm-hmm. who was Perry Mason in the reboot. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> it all connects. Yeah. But Matthew Reese, when he made Perry Mason, was not 
Matthew Reese of today, uh, you know, who is of, of the Americans, of um, all right. the other things, like Woody Allen movies and whatever, you know, he was still a young actor, whereas, as you know, point out, Ray Milan, not a young actor when he did Perry Mason, uh, Robert Culp. Um, well, <laughs> I love, you know, Janet Lee, like, playing just amazing characters and Baxter. I, I, I mean, you can just go on. Uh, those people were already super famous. One of the things that I remember when it began, uh, the first one, I really liked the first one with Anthony Andrews as the killer because, okay, here's yeah. here's someone who can face off with Peter Falk. And the very next one was Fisher Stevens. <laughs> Nothing against Fisher Stevens, but no. No, it just, yeah, I know. That one was memorable because it was Fisher Stevens, <laughs> but not for being really great. Whereas Anthony Andrews, um, you know, for me will always be Sebastian from Brideshead Revisited and, and awesome. So... I, and and that one also has one of my favorite tropes of a good Columbo, the the fact that yes we see the killer we know who he is, and we come back from the the first commercial break, and there's actually still something we don't know and we don't find out until the end of the episode, mm-hmm. and it's like all right that's yeah that's good. I did enjoy uh, Columbo goes to the guillotine. Um, was that? Yes. I was just. Um, looking over those later Columbos, and honestly, on average, I enjoy them. Um, yeah, <laughs> there, you know, there are a couple not so great ones in there. Um, that last one, uh, Columbo loves the nightlife, is maybe one of my least <laughs> favorites. But a lot of them in there, like there, there are two with uh, the prisoner. His name is escaping. Yeah. Uh, Patrick McGowan as the as the as the killer, and those are both very enjoyable to watch. Um, he's always uh, he's great as a as a Columbo villain and director. Um, all in all, I I don't I don't dislike the vast majority of them. It's definitely like that. The, the bar is so high that even okay, Columbo is better than many things I would watch on TV. So. <laughs> okay, Columbo is one of my favorite alt-rock bands. That, <laughs> no, no, no. There's just something about how iconic he is. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's it's rare that a TV detective vaults right into that pantheon of, you know, Holmes and Poirot and Miss Marple and all that. But everyone knows Columbo. That's very true. Yeah. And um, also, I like the fact that he's a detective who's actually a homicide detective, because so many of these, like like uh, Jessica Fletcher, it just happens to be everywhere she goes, somebody gets murdered, which is right. suspicious <laughs> after many years. Whereas we're expecting a homicide detective to show up at murders, and that makes sense, right? That's his job. <laughs> He doesn't just randomly encounter them wherever he goes in the world. And and she was still getting surprised in the 12th season. <laughs> I, there's a dead body. Well, I can help. Exactly. 
Levinson and Link had done the Ellery Queen series in 1975, which is also a mystery writer solving murders and, mm-hmm. you know. But it made sense because his father was the police commissioner. So you can say, okay, that that connects. Whereas Jessica is just Angela Lansbury. <laughs> it doesn't, there's no reason. Anyway. And I think there are just so many, like, there's so many traits that help him be iconic, right? There's the car and the dog and the raincoat and the <laughs> just one more thing and kind of the bushy hair. Like, he's he has so many memorable quirks that um, – and he's an endearing character, right? I mean, he's self-effacing. Right. Like, it's, it's easy to see – like, it's possibly easy to see why he would become uh, – so memorable and so beloved where many like TV detectives don't, you know, you had Kojak with a lollipop and he's bald who loves your baby. (laughs) So, but you know, somehow that doesn't like, it doesn't match up to the dragon around a, a, like a droopy basset hound to your crime scenes (laughs) (laughs) and pulling up in a Peugeot that barely makes it, makes it there you know he seemed a little depressed i thought i'd get him some fresh air do you have do you have a picture of a of a of a basset hound because the one next door moved away and he's been depressed (laughs) i'd also say that like because i did watch columbo growing up it was a favorite of my mom's also um is that there are some life lessons you can learn from Columbo, one of which is if you are planning on completely ruining somebody's life because you're angry at them for some reason, just do it. Don't tell them first. Um, <laughs> because that's a no great way to get murdered, apparently. I never understand. It's just like, why not just just go through with it? But then that would be such a short Columbo, though he just you know opens the <laughs> opens the paper and there's a headline you know so and so did awful thing life is ruined and nobody's dead and he just goes and gets some chili um i would have liked to get to know him for a little <laughs> bit you know maybe put him in prison oh well <laughs> i think we've given one another just enough rope for now so i'd like to thank you for joining me gene mcdonald thank you thank you david you know, there is no, no such thing as a perfect murder, and that's what keeps us podcasters in business. <laughs> thank goodness. And James Dempsey, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> so tune in again next time when we might find out the answer to the question, what's that? Until then, the Glen is afoot. Wait, no. Uh, the Glen after Glay. No. Uh, all's Glen and Love and Glen.